Well, it's good to be with you, and uh, thank you for your, uh, your welcome. It's, uh, this is the first time we've been out to uh, Barham. Um, it's a bit difficult when you live next door to Tony Sands and uh, uh, to go to other places. Where were you this morning? Why weren't, why weren't you out? I was going to get you to anchor the service or something like that. Um, but no, it's uh, good to have this uh, opportunity and good to see some uh, old friends again. I think it was Fu said when we came, I haven't seen you for ages. And uh, that was perfectly true. So it's uh, lovely to be here. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, yes, when um, Mike said, uh, is there anything that uh, uh, that's, uh, you, God has really blessed you with? I was tempted to say, well, when we got here, we found a parking place. But I thought that was probably not quite spiritual enough, so <laughs> I didn't actually say it. But um, thanks. Um, parking is actually one of the things that uh, Rose has encouraged me to... Uh, uh, to pray about whenever we go into a, go to sort of go somewhere and particularly shopping or something like that, I pull into the car park and it looks pretty for them. I say, oh, we're never going to find a parking place here. And Rose says, no, you've got to trust. Lord, we want to find a parking place. And sure enough, someone pulls out and in we go. So uh, God really uh, can bless us in every sort of single, uh, single situation. So that's really good. So we're going to look today at uh, chapter 10 of uh, Joshua and uh, chapter 11, which are, I think, quite exciting uh, uh, chapters. But there's so much in them that uh, uh, I've got to keep my eye on the time so I don't run over, I think. But let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for this series we're looking at on uh, your servant Joshua. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you will uh, open it up for us in these two chapters we're going to be looking at and we pray Father you will bless us and uh, give us strength and encouragement for the week ahead. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So this morning we're looking at uh, chapter 10, Joshua chapter 10 and uh, also chapter 11 uh, as well. Not every part of it, we're going to concentrate mainly on the, uh, on the first part of it. Um, and just by way of introduction, of course, what we've looked at so far is uh, how God prepared and strengthened Joshua uh, to uh, go and uh, deal with uh, um, uh, Jericho to start with, and how they moved on from there to Ai. And at uh, both of those stages, God was with Joshua, helping him and encouraging him to move forward in order to get to the position that we see at the end of uh, chapter 11, where it says, So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. That's a very encouraging verse, I find, after all that we've looked at, in Joshua and all that was going on and the problems that there were, then the land had rest uh, for war, from, from war. So we've seen, Jer we've seen what happened with Jericho, we've seen what happened to Ai. Now we're going to look at a different uh, uh, set of uh, opposition, if you like, to, uh, to Joshua. And verse 10 in chapter 1 says, Now Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, 
heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Horam, king of Hebron, Paran, king of Jamuth, Japhia, king of Lashish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jamuth, Lashish, and Eglon joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. That was where Joshua's army was based. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And then it goes on to talk about an all-night march from Gilgal, which uh, Joshua was able to take uh, uh, the uh, city and the situation by surprise. And we'll come on to that later. So the situation is, the ultimate objective for Joshua is so that the um, Israelites will be able to uh, win through, overcome all their enemies, and get to that place where there can be peace in the Promised Land, throughout the Promised Land. But obviously for that to happen, the forces of opposition had to be overcome. And as I said, we've seen that happen to to Jericho. We've seen how it happened to Ai. Well, now we've got a rather different situation. This is not a single city. This is a group of towns. And this group of towns were known collectively as the Amorites, more loosely as the Canaanites. But together they represent, they still represented, a significant force that Joshua had to deal with. Individually, they may not have been strong as Ai, they may not have been strong as Jericho, but collectively they represented a problem and they still had to be overcome. And what we're going to look at this morning is how that happened, how Joshua dealt with this coalition of cities. Now, he would probably have preferred to have waited until he felt ready to take them on. But the Amorites forced his hand. And the Amorites is the name, of course, given to this collection of cities. And what they did was to attack Gibeon. Now, you remember that Gibeon was the place that uh, had uh, um, deceived Joshua and they'd had a, uh, a, a, a treaty which Joshua had uh, done with them. And the result of that was that he was actually now committed to support them. 
partly because of the treaty he had signed. He'd been tricked into, deceived into doing that. He hadn't asked for the Lord to help, uh, and that was the, the end result. And it was a treaty, as you will probably remember, uh, which uh, said and talked about the fact that it was a treaty that was on oath by the Lord. So on that, those grounds, he was bound to support uh, Gibeon, whatever they wanted him to do. And, but also to try to deal with that and to come against that, Joshua also signed or also uh, reduced them to what is called house servants. And that probably means slaves. Now, as slaves, that meant that they were his property, Joshua's property, and therefore whatever happened, whatever they wanted him to do, if they were in, in trouble, Joshua had to go to their assistance because he was their master, they were his slaves, he had to help them. So what now happens is that these uh, five uh, cities, the Amorites, had made, started making an attack on Gibeon. So Gibeon then calls to Joshua, and in, uh, uh, in the ver chapter uh, verse 6, uh, sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, do not abandon your servants, come up to us quickly and help us. And Joshua therefore had no option but to respond and go to their assistance because of these two things. The treaty was on oath to the Lord and he had promised them that uh, he would, uh, as their servants, that he would, as his servants, that he was on a bound to help them. So Joshua then has now to prepare for war because the Gibeonites are under uh, attack. They're under attack from, uh, uh, from the... Uh, um, mine's gone blank. Who are they under attack from? From the uh, Anorites, that's right. I keep forgetting their, uh, uh, their name. So they're under attack from him. They appeal to Joshua and Joshua, therefore, has got to go and help them. So what I want to look at this morning, that's the background, what I want to look at this morning are the ways in which Joshua was able to deal with this situation. What were the steps which he took? Because he's on a bound to go to their assistance of the Gibeonites, he also has to defeat, uh, defeat them because they represent another obstacle towards Joshua coming to and getting to the promised land. And that is the essence of the problem. So uh, with this coalition of states the un, uh, uh, that uh, they've been, we've been talking about, with this coalition of states as the last obstacle, Joshua has got to go and uh, deal with them. So how does he do this? What are the steps by which he comes against the Analytes? And the first step towards victory over the Amorites, but ultimately looking forward to the land having rest from war, would be for Joshua and the Israelites to know that the objective was grounded on the promise of God. And how would he know that? Because God's word to his people then had been given through Moses. And God had said to Moses in Deuteronomy 36, Obey what I command you today, and I will drive out before you, and then follows a whole list of tribes, 
but first on the list are the Amorites. And this instruction from God was passed on to Joshua. And as chapter 11, verse 15 says, as the Lord commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. This was God's word, and it was also Joshua's principal authority against the Amorites. This is the first step which Joshua took to, to deal with the Amorites, was to follow God's word, to know what God was actually saying. And I would suggest it's also ours as well, because we also are under attack from our enemy, the devil. 1 Peter 5 verse 2 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And that song we sang earlier on just sums it all up. The devil will tempt us. He will accuse us and condemn us. And he will do this persistently in order to limit our effectiveness as Christians if we let him. And if we let him, he might well establish demonic strongholds in our lives. But the word of God tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And this, of course, is what happened on the cross. So, just as Joshua's authority was through the word of God, spoken by Moses and given to him, our authority is in Christ, as the word of God. He is our salvation and assurance, it's in him, but also our identity is in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if our identity is in Christ, we also have authority in him to stand against the works of the devil in the lives of God's people, wherever and whoever they may be. So the point I'm making is that just as Joshua, in going up to fight uh, the, the, the enemy, had to have the authority of God's word behind him, so we also have to have the authority of God's word behind us. We need to know who we are in Christ. And who we are in Christ is that we are his children, we are his people, and our identity is in him. And if that is true for us, as it was true for Joshua, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As Joshua had to go up, and it was a difficult uh, issue, as we'll see, but as Joshua had to go up uh, and, uh, and fight his enemy, this collection of states, this collection of cities, as he had to deal, do that, so we have to know our identity in Christ in order for us to take on uh, our enemy as well the devil. And that is tremendously important. However, the authority which Joshua was given through the word of God spoken to him by Moses, wonderful as it was as a statement of truth, needed to be applied and confirmed if it was to be effective in the actual situation Joshua 
was faced with. So that brings us on to the second step. If the first step was that Joshua needed to know who he was in Christ, or in God rather, but if he needed to know who he was in God, if he needed to know his authority to take this, uh, this whole uh, process of uh, defeating the opposition to God, if he was to do that, and the opposition to the promised land being given to the Israelites, if he was to do that under his authority as the person that God had chosen, then in the same way, for us to deal with our enemy, the devil, we need to know our authority in Christ Jesus. We need to know that his word about us is truth. And if he says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, that is exactly who we are. If he said to Joshua that uh, do not fear, do not be afraid, I will be with you, as he said to Joshua, then Joshua had to rely on that. We are in the same position. So that's the first thing that I, whoops, that's the first thing I want to emphasize this morning. That Joshua needed to know his authority in God. We need to know our authority in Christ. That we are the righteousness of God in him. And if we know that, we can take on whatever arrows the enemy may sling against us. But, wonderful as it was, as I said, it stands as truth, but it's got to become more than just a statement of truth. It needs to be applied into our, into our lives and confirmed. If it was to be effective in the, in the actual situation Joshua was faced with, so must we have our understanding of who we are in Christ in order that we can deal with the works of the enemy. So the second step towards the prospect of advancing victory over the Amorites was for Joshua to seek the Lord at every stage for direction. So here he's got this enemy, the Amorites, a joining together of forces. Don't know whether collectively they were more powerful than, uh, uh, than Ai or Jericho, uh, but they were a problem and they needed to be overcome in order for the promised land to get to that point at the end of chapter 11 where it says that they had peace in the land. For that to happen, they first of all had to know that their authority was in Christ, in God, that God had promised that to them. He had said to, uh, uh, said to Joshua, fear not, I will be with you. Fear not, you will have victory. I will drive them out before you. And that was the truth. But more than that, the second step towards the prospect of achieving victory over the Amorites was for Joshua to seek the Lord at every stage for direction, confirmation, and personal assurance. Because even though Joshua knew he was on a bound to march to the support of Gibeon, remember there was that treaty he had with them, and he would reduce them to house servants, to slaves, so therefore they were his property, couldn't do anything else about it, even though he knew that, and knew the difficulties standing the way of advancing this were immense, so he had to be sure God was in it. And in verse 8 of the section we read, it says we have the, uh, we have the answer. 
it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And I think there are two things in that statement that are significant and is worth us uh, bearing in mind. One of them, and the first I would suggest, is the positive statement uh, of, uh, of God to Joshua. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. I have given them into your hand. You will have, a vi- you will have victory. So that was a statement of assurance. That was something which uh, he could take hold of, Joshua could take hold of. But as well as that, because God said, do not be afraid of them, and he constantly says, you will probably have noticed, to the people that he's dealing with, do not be afraid of them. I suspect that fear and anxiety was a problem which Joshua had, as it is with most of us. Otherwise, I see no reason why God should have kept saying, do not be afraid. And it could well be the case. Before Jericho, you may remember, what was the assurance that he actually had? He had the uh, vision of the commander, or not actually a vision, it was there, the commander of the Lord's armies appeared to him and said to him, I am with you, I am fighting on your behalf. That was an amazing encouragement for Joshua. And thereafter, you had the every stage, we have, do not be afraid, I am with you. And it's not surprising that Joshua should be fearful and anxious. What he had to deal with, uh, what he had to come up against, was immense. And this time particularly, it was going to be particularly difficult. So God is saying to him, I've got the situation in hand. I will deliver them into your hands. But Joshua is still going to be apprehensive, I think. And so God is saying to him, do not fear. And God says the same to us. Let not your heart be troubled. Be, have peace. The peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, Jesus, uh, Jesus said. And constantly throughout the New Testament, there is this desire, this uh, encouragement for us to know the peace of God, whatever the difficulties, whatever the situations may be. That is what God wants us to do. And we can know that peace as we come to God, as we know his authority in the situation. We know his power to be with us, whatever the situation may be. Whether you turn to the right hand or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's what God says. This is God's promise for all of us, whatever the demands of our lives may be. If we make decisions about the direction of our life based simply on human understanding, we will make mistakes. There will be negative consequences in terms of fully experiencing God's purpose for our lives. Instead, we need to be applying to ourselves Paul's prayer for the Colos- to the Colossian church that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, we need to be looking for the word of God, not just to inform us, but to transform us. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians was that out of this, God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith. Now, one of the things we love to do is to have bonfires in our, uh, in our house. And when we build up, not in our house, in the garden, I should say, right down the bottom end of the garden, like that. Um, we had one the other day, in actual fact, and it was raining. Tony looked out and said, what on earth are they having a bonfire when it's raining? But we'd started when it wasn't raining, and then it came on, and we'd, since we'd started, we didn't want to stop it. So uh, what we did, what we did, you build a little bit to start with, uh, a few bits of timber, and uh, you put some stuff in it, and lo and behold, the bonfire eventually ignites. And you don't have to keep feeding it, it's there. And when we do that, when we get to that position, that's the point at which the whole fire, the whole situation comes alive, and it'll go on forever. So we had it on last week. It wasn't raining when we started. It pretty much was raining afterwards. And as we got through, uh, having built it and having started it, once it ignited properly, then we had a bonfire. Then we could just leave it. It didn't matter that it was raining. There was enough stuff there to keep it going initially. And that's what needs to happen in our lives. We want to have this point of ignition in our lives so that it's not just sort of messing around, as it were, with the things of God, but we're actually ignited, we're actually transformed. And that is the foundation of our resistance to the devil. He is our inner enemy. And we sang in that song, really, about spiritual warfare and deliverance. We need to stand in the authority of the blood of Jesus and his victory over Satan, as well as the power of his spirit within us to take action against the enemy and to resist his authority. And as we discovered last week when we had this bonfire, it didn't matter that it was pouring down with rain. We got to the point at which the rain was immaterial. The bonfire was there, that was a light, and that would last. And so this is the issue. This is the second step that Joshua needed to know and did know. He needed to know, first of all, who he was, who, what God had told him to do. We need to know what our identity is in Christ. But he also needed to know, and this was the second step uh, that, uh, towards victory, he needed to know also how he was going to overcome, how he was going to win the victory and have some sort of clue as to the fact that God was not just with him as a statement of fact, but he was with him in his life and helping him through. Now, Joshua's plan in order to do this, because the problems were immense, was to take his army on a forced march through the night uphill from Gilgal, where they were camped, to where the Amorites were, 20 miles away, attacking Gibeon. He could then take them by surprise. Now, what he was doing here was putting his faith in God's promise to support and give him victory. But for this to happen would require faith for a miracle greater than anyone could imagine. Verse 12 describes how Joshua called on God to extend the hours of daylight so fighting could continue in through into the normal hours of darkness. And uh, it says, On the day that the Lord gave the Amorites to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, 
O sun, stand still over Gibeon. So the sun stood still. And this was so incredible that verse 14 comments, there has never been a day like it before or since. As a result, Joshua was able to be in exactly the right position at the right time to launch a surprise attack on the, and the Amorites were defeated. And as they fled, verse 11 describes how the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them fled from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. So that's the second issue, the second step I wanted to emphasize. The first was to know the truth of God, of who, for Joshua, of who he was in God, of what God was going to do in him. That was a statement of truth, but he couldn't just leave it there. He had to put it into operation, into practice in his life. He had to be prepared to trust God. And in the same way as we need to know the, our identity and the importance of ident our identity in Christ, we also need to be in that position of putting it into practice. Where the issues are, the problems are in our life, whatever they may be, we need to be putting them into practice. We need to be saying, we trust you, God, in this situation. Absolutely imperative that we do that. And in this particular case, they were looking for a miracle. They were looking for the miracle that Joshua's army could go from where they were at Gilgal, 20 miles east, and this is a forced march, uphill through the night, and then be available and on fire to attack the Gibeonites the next day, to attack the, and, and the um, uh, other people. Um, Canaanites will do, so I can't remember the name, um, to attack the Canaanites uh, the, the next day. And this was, abs this was where the problems, uh, problem was. Here was an issue of trust and belief in God for miracles. God had said to Joshua, this miracle will happen. Did it happen? Yes, it did happen. And it happened because Joshua was prepared to take his army on that false march, uphill, a whole army, 20,000, 30,000 men, and then uphill again, still keeping on until he got to where Gibeon was being attacked. And when he got to that point, he still had to have the energy in order to win the victory. He got to the point, he had the energy, the army had the energy, they had the light to take them through the night, so that they could still carry on the attack, and God had come to their come to where it wasn't rescue, he had fulfilled his promise uh, to them, and he was strengthening for what uh, was to happen. This was a miracle. What miracles do we see today? Well, some people will say that the uh, Dunkirk operation was a miracle. The king, King George VI, called for uh, prayer shortly before it and as a result the channel was mild as mild as it uh, for nine days which is unusual to have the channel that mild for that period of time and the result was that the British army British expeditionary force was able to be evacuated from Dunkirk that was regarded by many Christians at the time 
my parents in particular, because they lived through the war, uh, that was regarded as a miracle. Whether it was or not, I don't know, but I'd like to think that it was. But we also see miracles of healing. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, Paul talks about those in the church who have been given the gift of miraculous powers. This would mean that in answer to their prayers, God often acts in a way that completely takes the place of what normally would be uh, expected to happen. And this, of course, can be seen in the area of, uh, of healing. Most healings, of course, happen over time as a result of prayer. And it progresses and the healing sort of comes eventually until people realise, oh, yeah, that does not hurting anymore. And I had that with my thumb, actually. Um, some of you may have uh, mentioned this uh, before to some of you. I went through a period, no idea why, but my thumb, I could hardly move it properly. So I was sort of using the four fingers and, uh, uh, and so on. And I had prayer for it. And about a week or so later, I suddenly realised it wasn't hurting anymore. And it hasn't hurt since. Now, that's a small issue. And uh, you can say, well, it was probably arthritis. So I went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, well, it would be arthritis. You just have to put up with it. Well, it had healed within about three, three weeks or so of me going to the doctor, something, something like that. It's never been a problem since. It's a minor issue, as far as I'm concerned, to the kind of people that need healing today. And I'm thinking particularly of Chris Hawksworth. He is in a situation where we need a miracle from God into his life, into his situation, in order that Chris might be healed. The church knows this, you and I know it, and I'm sure many of us are praying and praying as um, we were hearing earlier, uh, as Audrey was saying to us earlier, full on, not just in a sort of um, a mild way, but full on we need to be praying with power and authority. We need to be taking the authority of God into that situation. Luke 7 verse 20 describes how when John the Baptist was in prison, he sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus if he really was the Messiah. One of the signs Jesus gave them was that people with leprosy were being healed. Now Audrey can tell us whether there is a cure for leprosy today that is absolute and totally uh, deals with it. I'm not sure. I know that the kind of uh, medication that people have render it, they can still live pretty much a normal life if they're in the right sort of environment. But whether that's a healing in this sense of the term, I don't know. But in those days, there was no cure for it and people were healed. I'm going to stop, time's going on. Um, so what we need to do is to pray for those that we know need healing. So Joshua had trusted in God's word to give him uh, to him through Moses. He had sought God for confirmation and pressed forward in faith to see God miraculously overcome all the obstacles standing in the way. And as a result, the Amorites were defeated and the five kings fled to hide in a cave at a place called Makeda. They were tracked down, removed from the cave and publicly slaughtered as an indication of the total victory of Joshua and the Israelites over them. 
and at the end we have that verse the land had peace we need to be in that position where we are looking for god to provide peace in our land whatever it might be let's pray now shall we for that to happen let's stand Father, we thank you for what we can learn through the stories of the Old Testament. Very often we prefer just to concentrate on the new because that speaks directly into our situation. But Father, you are the same yesterday, today and forever. So we thank you that Joshua knew his position in you. We thank you, Father, that he was prepared to apply it into his own life and situation and that he was willing and able to trust you for the victory which you provided. And Lord, we thank you that you will do that for our lives, whatever they may be. So let's just bring before God in prayer now anything in our lives where we know we need support and help. And Lord, as we do this, we stand against the enemy We stand against everything that he will try and put it into our minds to say you don't need to pray that prayer. You can cope. You can manage. God wants you whole. If you need healing, God wants to heal you. I know that's a difficult thing to say. Not everyone necessarily agrees with that, but it's what I believe because I don't find anything in Scripture which tells me that God doesn't want to heal us. And if he wants to heal us, then we need to come to him. We may need to come to him for a miracle. We may need just to come to him for help in our situation. Maybe our life's work is getting out of hand, and we need to pray that God will deal with it. We need to pray for a miracle in maybe our relationship areas. And I'm here not necessarily talking about husband-wife relationship or that sort of thing, but just relationships with people generally can get out of hand. Even within the church, people can say things and we respond to it. And we respond to it in a way which is debilitating to them. And as a result of that, a dispute happens and we in the area where it needs to be dealt with there needs to be reconciliation there needs to be forgiveness and this upward this upward slope from just being a a a, a disagreement to a dispute to an outright um, difficulty that needs to be resolved that is the work of the enemy and there will need to be forgiveness maybe so if there's anyone here in that situation Lord, we pray for resolution. Lord, we stand against the work of the enemy. We stand against everything he will try to do to cause disruption, to cause disputes, to cause difficulties and upsets. We stand against that in the name of Jesus. And we pray, Father, that your word will be all-powerful. We pray that as we apply that, your word, 
that will, Father, bring into our lives what needs to happen. And Father, we pray that also there will be that situation where miracles can happen. And what we thought was impossible will be possible, will happen. And that the enemy's lies, his tactics, will be defeated. So we pray for this, Father, in your name and for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us this morning. Amen.